Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first in their covered wagons. They find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but we'll showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Future Tech Podcast. This is Chris, and our guest today is Armin. Ebrahimi from Showcard.com. How are you doing, Armin? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm so glad that you're here today. So, Armin, um, I'd like, like to start out with a, a bit of background about the uh, person that I'm talking to. So, give us your background. Sure. Um, I've been in the tech industry uh, my entire career. Uh, some of the things that were highlights of my career was um, my tenure at Yahoo from 2008. Uh, where I built and ran the display advertising platform at Yahoo. And at the time, we built the largest platform uh, in, the, in the overall network, where we're serving over 2 billion transactions a day. And that taught us a lot about uh, scalability. And some of the folks who worked for me then have continued to work for me in every position and role that I've had, including Showcard. The last responsibility I had there was uh, I was the head of platform engineering at Yahoo. And among some other responsibilities, I was also responsible for identity and fraud. And that's actually where, I very, for the very first time, I started uh, just learning about that, which eventually led to what I'm doing with Showcard now. Um, well, um, following that, I ended up doing another startup that it was a data play on advertising. Uh, we ended up selling that to AOL in 2012. Um, and I was there for about a year when we integrated the services into what they had. And when I left that was when uh, 
I, w- I was really looking at how we could change something dramatically, more disruptive manner, rather than just incremental changes to it. And that's when I started looking at blockchain and mobile technology, which eventually led to Showcard. And again, my angle with all of this has oftentimes been a technical angle. That's just a lot, where a lot of my background has been. Uh, but obviously, any technical solution only is viable when you can actually connect it to, uh, you know, real world problems and actually take it to market. So um, it's really combining the passions that I have there together. I'm interested to know more about some of those um, solutions that you found over the years, and like what 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 motivates you to find those two things and merge them together? Well, um, with regards to like what we did with Showcard, the technology, uh, it, you know, especially blockchain technology back in 2000, it still seemed like the early days of it. That's only a few years ago. But people weren't really looking at that. I think there were, there were a lot of eyes on cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin in particular. But it was really being able to see that distributed ledger and the potential that he had and at first, it was just fascinating. I was just reading about it and, and trying to absorb what the possibilities of it would be. But I think when you start applying that to, you know, various issues that they've had, uh, you know, over the years, you start seeing possibilities of how it could come into play. And, you know, for me, uh, focusing, using that and combining the other pieces of technology, that's really been an enabler to really allow shortcuts to, to, to happen with mobile technologies. And I'll talk about how they come into play, but it was, um, you know, when I was looking at blockchain, it wasn't confined to identity. I think it could be applied to a number of different problems and solve uh, a lot of issues where there's a lot of friction um, and, you know, things that slow down in the way we currently have them implemented. And that's what was somewhat fascinating with it. The reason I started uh, uh, combining blockchain and and mobile technologies together and and really create a show card was by having mobile technology, you could have the little computers that everyone has in the pocket that could have their identification information with them. Uh, and, and that's really what mobile technology is enabled. And then the blockchain really being this distributed ledger that could stand as uh, proof of work, that the stuff that they have on the phone is really valid. And that, that was really the premise behind um, creating Showcard as a distributed form of identity. Okay. Well, let's talk more about Showcard. What what does it specifically do? So the idea with Showcard is to really inverse the ownership of identity. If you think about it today, everybody else owns our identity and data set about us. So it's everything from uh, employer having your username, password, and then plus your access to their services, to your bank, uh, to uh, Facebook, to Google, to any service that you use. You typically have a username, password, and that stands as your identity. Uh, and your gateway into those services. Now, if anything is breached with any of those, if any of the personal data that you have with them is breached, uh, you don't have any control over it because they really become the gatekeepers with that. The idea with Showcard was to inverse that and say, rather than having all these various enterprises be the owners of your identity, or at least an abstract of your identity, the idea was to be able to have users themselves um, own their identity, have all the data that they could use to prove who they are on the mobile device, um, including their biometrics, um, as well as private keys that really replace the use of passwords, that, that's an, you know, passwords being an incredibly weak uh, form of authentication. And um, with that, 
obviously when you provide that to someone else, they need to validate it. They use blockchain for various digital certifications and so on to be able to validate the data that you give them. But enterprises provide you access. They don't provide your identity. So your identity stays with you. So if you work for an employer and you change your employment and you go to someone else, your identity still stays with you. You just lose access to your old employer's data and you get the new one. If you change your bank account, you would lose access perhaps to the old bank uh, or, or banks that you had. You sign up with a new bank, you get access to that. So that's really the idea is the user owns the identity. And by doing so, you do uh, a couple of other things. One of them is if any of those institutions are ever breached, um, your personal data, your authentication data, that stuff is not compromised. And everybody has to have your, your identity data in order to give you that uh, you know, entrance into their services otherwise. So you can protect yourself from breaches that will happen. The other thing is you could decide which pieces of data you share and with whom you share it because the data is always with you. You don't have to share your entire identity with everyone, only the pieces necessary for whatever transaction you do. So that's really the idea behind Showcard and with that. So what um, you're talking about entrance into services. What specific services um, is Showcard um, entering into with the, uh, the user IDs? Uh, it's a great question. And uh, as a platform, you know, what we've really built is the identity platform, and we've made it so that it could embed it inside other service providers, applications, or servers, uh, as well as run as a standalone uh, application itself as well. Now, the idea behind this is to be generalized, so it could be used on any number of applications, any number of services, Yes, uh, being a startup, we still have to work on go-to-market. So it's not just a theoretical system, but practically, we actually have to go to market with it. So this creates, uh, we've had certain focus areas where we've been working harder at. We've been really looking at where we think market adoption is easier for it. Um, and, you know, over time, we see that expanding. But we've really uh, been focusing on the financial industry. Uh, some on travel industry where we could get rid of friction. Um, lately, we've actually had a lot of requests that come to us from uh, the health industry as well. So we, we just began going into that space as well. Um, and one of the other areas, last year we launched a product called ShowBadge, and it's really providing uh, what's referred to as IDP services for single sign-on into enterprise as well. But we've really focused on those. I think there are a number of other verticals over time that we see this could expand into. But we've really focused on those areas. And that's just to be able to establish, uh, like, beachhead and being able to expand from that into other service areas as well. Okay, so financial, travel, and health. What um, Talk to us about some of the, the details you see in those three sectors. Sure. Um, the idea behind what we have and our slogan is ultimately having something that's easier to use, but more secure. Uh, and I'll give you a couple of examples in the financial sector, then I'll talk about travel and health as well. So if you think about uh, financial services, um, let's say a bank, you've got different forms of identification you go through. So let me just give you a few different forms of that. And this is with a single bank, and we can expand okay. beyond that. So, uh, you know, to go to your bank, uh, you're using a password on your browser. With that, you know, you get online access and can go in. If you actually download the app, uh, you would use the username and password, but some of them have now actually uh, gotten a little bit further, and they let you touch ID, uh, face ID, or whatever access control you have on your device to access your account. Uh, you could get used to that and just not typing your name and password on your mobile device. You still need it when you get to your browser. 
if you go to an ATM machine or if you go inside a branch, uh, you use a completely different username and password to access the same exact bank account. Uh, at an ATM machine or inside the branch, use your, um, your ATM card, ultimately, your debit card. Um, you run back to the and then you enter a PIN. So the ATM card becomes your username. The PIN you enter on the keyboard becomes uh, your password. Then uh, imagine if you actually got to call the call center. So let's say there's a transaction that requires your approval for whatever reason. Or let's say if they detect a fraud on your card or something like that. You call a call center, and then when you call, you know, you don't have any of those. You don't have your name, password. You don't have your card, ATM card, and so on. You ask a question, and it goes through a uh, knowledge-based authentication where they try to find out who you are. So I just described four different ways that you go through to authenticate yourself for each service, and they have their own friction in the process. Some take longer than the others. you got to have second forms of identification you sometimes carry with you, such as an ATM card. Um, but the format is always different. And security of each one of those is questionable because, you know, when you call a call center, someone else who has that information about you could basically uh, replicate you in a sense and, and go to a call center to do whatever transaction. Well, the idea with, with the show card, the first part of it is, well, simplifying the login process no matter what platform you run. So if you are uh, trying to access your bank account, rather than having your name passwords, you scan a QR code in a very secure way, being able to create an exchange, prove who you are, uh, have the bank server then uh, verify your identity information you pass on the blockchain, identify you and give you access. You could do the same thing on your mobile device. We're actually working with uh, ATM partners that are trying to do the same thing with our app, uh, with our show card uh, services. We scan a QR code at the ATM machine with your phone rather than scanning it or pushing in a card to log in. Even if you're on the phone, uh, you could do that to uh, the call center agent, just sending you a request while on your phone you identify yourself and you can get access. You can provide step-up authentication where if the transaction value is high or if there's, you still need additional proofing that this is you. Um, we do biometrics checks, which is taking a picture of you. At the server level, you could do a biometrics comparison to make sure the real person was behind the phone. But in all of those cases, if your single identity that you have with you lets you access any device regardless of where you're at. But the other advantage of this is uh, really when you start talking about you know, what's called the network effect. And the network effect is you, know, you go through a process of proving who you are with one institution. Um, when you work with other institutions, other banks and so on, oftentimes cross-information is very difficult to do. It's difficult for them to be able to identify you, even though you've been identified already with another bank. You go through a process that's called KYC, know your customer, which is part of regulation actually around the world, yet you have to repeat that process at each you go to. That's a cost for the bank, but also uh, you have to re-enter all your data, go through the process. Opening up a bank account, for example, online, has required you to go through a process of entering all your data and potentially open to fraud because someone else with that information could also open a bank account in your name. Well, the idea here is that if one bank goes through and identifies you, they can create a certification on the blockchain that they've identified you, you have a banking relationship with them. That could be shared with other banks to speed up the process so that you don't have to be that same re-entry of the data and the cost of validation. And there's a compensation process in place where you know, the bank that, you know, acquires your data from the other bank can actually make a payment to them, uh, you know, because they, they can save the cost of going through it. 
but it's ultimately speeding up the process. So not only does it make it easier for you to go through your own verification process with that bank, it can actually make it easier as you work across multiple banks or multiple financial institutions. And a lot of what we do, it really happens that way. Our credit cards are with different banks. We have you know, anything from brokerages to uh, pay different bank accounts that we, that we have. Or when we transfer funds from banks to banks where the identity needs to be uh, proven and this can simplify the process. Okay. So with in working with the, the financial um, sector, what will it take for them to adopt specifically a show card into their operating? So we've been working with a number of financial institutions, both here in the U.S. as well as uh, Europe and Middle East. And, you know, what we've seen is uh, the initial uh, interest in terms of what we're doing was just really research-based. And that was a couple years ago when we first started working with them. That interest level has actually been recent times. Um, we're uh, doing pilots with, uh, with a few financial institutions here in the U.S., that are in the earlier stages. Um, I think banks in general are, you know, they're very large, large institutions, and it takes longer for them to actually go to production. But with, uh, in the past, I would say probably since mid-last year, the interest in blockchain-based solutions has increased. I think the knowledge of blockchain has increased, and that really helped push to, you know, wider pilots and uh, programs that we've been doing with them. Um, but I think it still takes a lot of uh, testing, uh, you know, integration into the systems before those go to production, especially here in the U.S. is part of what we're seeing. In Europe, we've been able to actually get um, traction with um, people or with financial institutions around KYC um, and credit reporting. And we actually uh, launched a program with Credit Info, which is a, a European uh, multinational credit reporting company. And what they do is they identify individuals and also give them credit reports where they could share those credit reports with other financial institutions, for example, to open up a credit card. Um, and the idea there is to be able to remove friction in the sharing of the data, especially when in Europe, because of a lot of uh, privacy rules, sharing of data, user data across boundaries is very difficult to do um, with this ease of the process so they can uh, so individuals can carry their credentials with them, regardless of where they go. We've made okay. um, a lot. Of, uh, go ahead. Do you have a question? Yeah, um, I just wanted to step back real quick to the, sure. the travel part of things. The the health and financial sectors make a lot of sense for having that the ID verification. How? What are the implications of um, ShowCard or similar platforms in the travel area? So with travel, if you think about, you know, especially air travel, um, what happens is you show up at, at an airport and you always have to show up a lot earlier because of the unpredictability of wait time. And there are uh, three different constituents in that. One is the traveler, the other one is the airport, and uh, the last one is really the airline itself. And there's a cost associated with the real estate. Now, a lot of times we don't think of it, but for airlines and airports, um, the real estate at a given airport is very expensive, and you get a bunch of people who all show up at the same time because they're going through various flights, and then all of a sudden everything is empty because people fly out and you know, traffic fluctuates that way. Um, the more people they can actually get through, the lower their cost, and their you know, flight transaction throughput actually goes up a lot more. And obviously for travelers, waiting in line has nothing to do with the ultimate goal they have, which is either traveling for pleasure or for business. 
But there are various cues that you actually get a standing. And the idea was um, uh, using Showcard, and, and we started working, uh, the, the very first partner we had in this space was called CETA, F-I-T-A, and they're a technology provider for um, about 90% of the international airlines. And then we started working with um, different airlines. We uh, started actually doing pilots with Emirates Airlines in uh, Dubai. And the idea behind what we were doing was, and what they were looking for is being able to speed up the process for that 99.9% of travelers, where when you go to the airport, being able to register one time. And, and yet they have to actually see you in person, look at your passport documentation stuff once. But being able to certify you on the blockchain, add your biometrics to your identity when they have actually identified you in person. Now, for uh, the rest of that visit and future visits you would have, you could go through, uh, grab your luggage, just scan it, not stand in line to check it in, self-service, just drop it off. Be able to go through security lines if you're not carrying any luggage, but being able to go near walking through, uh, through that process. If you've previously been identified, um, the records are basically a camera would take a picture of you, compare that to your biometrics that's been certified, where they can confirm that this is your identity, that biometrics is tied to your passport or your driver license data. Um, when you actually get on the plane and you go to a destination site, being able to uh, still have you carry your data with you on your phone, when you go through gates, being able to go through the same process where they don't have to check all your ID information again, um, and again, have you uh, go through the various checkpoints and you're walking. Now, the practicality of that is for air travel, it is a larger space to create the full ecosystem. There's more success within one airline at a time or one airport at a time. Going across airports requires with multiple airports to be coordinating together. So we're working with them um, you know, through ultimately uh, testing that they're doing with uh, a couple of different airports. It's one where um, the savings for travelers is actually pretty significant. Savings for the airlines and airports is significant. Um, the adoption takes a while to do because you have to bring all these airports up in technology and also work with government agencies to be able to um, accept those credentials when people travel through it. But the idea is uh, the same thing, is that any given checkpoint, could you reduce the amount of wait time so you don't stand in line to have a human being look at your documents, look at you, verify you, and then have you pass through. Because that's really what slows it down at, uh, at air travel. So expediting speed while still increasing security. Yeah, that's that's an important, Absolutely. very important thing. Yeah. So we mentioned before we started the interview your ICO and how it's a, a little bit different. Can you tell us more about that? Sure. You know, we, uh, we just actually announced uh, that we're – doing an ICO, and ICO is really a term that's used uh, marketing-wise, but ultimately it is the sale of tokens, where those tokens are used as an exchange within the platform uh, for, for various reasons. The way that we use that um, is ultimately being able to allow sharing of credentials between different enterprises or service providers that work together. And, you know, I give you an example before. If you are, let's say, a credit reporting company, you create a credit report, you give that to the user. The user can take that to a bank, uh, for example, to get a credit card. They could take it to a landlord when they want to lease an apartment uh, and they want to show the credit worthiness and so on. But in each one of those exchanges, they have the data, they can present it, 
And the receiver, uh, you know, be it the bank, be it the landlord, whoever it is, through an app or the website services, they can receive the information and validate it against the blockchain to see is it authentic or not. The one problem in that is if you just do that, you just give a credit report away for free and you don't want to do it. So you want to be compensated for it. The, these tokens um, allow the form of compensation so that, you know, that bank can actually pay the credit reporting company and say, well, for the exchange that we got, for being able to get the certified data on the user, I will actually give you a compensation for it, and that's how the tokens are used. So that's just one example of how this is done. But it can also provide compensation to the user. So when the user actually shares that information, the identity information, they're helping everyone involved because it speeds up the process of friction for everyone. But in you know, as it exists in our current world, we don't have very many means of being able to have individuals participate in the ownership and sharing of their data and be compensated for it. But they could actually receive the compensation for actually sharing that and removing the friction. So that's how, you know, in, in just a broad example, how tokens can actually be utilized. And part of what we're doing with our uh, uh, token sale is um, both the implementation of those tokens in the product, and, and we have been working, we've been working on that for a long time, uh, in fact, before ICOs became popular, but also then going through the ICO process itself, we will release that, uh, you know, within the network. Now, part of what we've done with our ICO, we spent a lot of time trying to study ICOs, working with our attorneys, trying to figure out, um, you know, the best way to do this given uh, regulatory requirements. And I think that's one of the things that it's, it's very easy to just go right out, you know, in, in the current environment and, you know, release tokens and raise a lot of money for it. We wanted to make sure we were doing this right. And a lot of that has to do with both. Uh, having the real product in place rather than just a blank white paper with a promise to, you know, one day build something. Um, you know, we had a product in place. We've got customers who actually are using our product and the traction that we have with that. Uh, we wanted to make sure that everything we have was real, um, getting all the disclosures right, but also um, registering what we have with the SEC here in the U.S. and making sure that we're complying with the requirements of the SEC. That, uh, one, it took us a while to be able to really understand it and make sure that we understand how SEC is looking at it, you know, how, what things is considered to be securities and not. But also, as we are marketing and doing the ICO, being more conservative in our process to make sure that we remain compliant with the law. And I think there is a balance between the two, um, you know, just going out trying to, you know, sell as much of this as you can in, in, in the best way that you can, yet remain compliant with the law. I think there's going to be a lot more changes that's going to happen in 2018 and moving forward. I think the SEC and the government does see value in these ICOs and the opportunities that they create, yet uh, at the same time, they're obviously worried about investors. And we've done, you know, we have provisions in what we're doing to make sure that we take, uh, take care of the investors so that they're not uh, exposed in a way that they shouldn't be because what we're looking for is ultimately the long-term play and, again, being compliant with the law. So that, that has been our approach, um, and I think some of those are things that we're likely to see happen more often with ICOs in the future, where they're both compliant um, and they uh, take care of investors, even if the profit slows them down a little bit. I was about to comment on that. Do you think that the regulatory uh, atmosphere right now is going to bring about uh, more robust companies? Uh, because you know, up to this point, it's you know we, I guess we've heard more about the 
you know, the fraudulent ones are the ones that make the headlines. And, you know, that's going to be the case with news. So do you think that we're going to see a slowdown in those um, those type of activities and we're going to have a, you know, I, I guess a, a safer environment because regulation is now in the headlines? Or what, what are your thoughts on that? Um, so definitely. I mean, I think there's been some enforcement that's even happened. We don't hear a lot of it, but we hear of a few that happened where the SEC has actually shut down a few ICOs because they didn't follow registration or they were just outright um, considered to be fraudulent by this. Um, I think companies are going to have to think, uh, you know, twice before doing one. And this is a global thing. It's not just here within the U.S., but, you know, U.S. being a big market for ICOs, uh, it's hard to ignore that uh, market. But I think, um, and we're seeing other things happening in other parts of the world as well. But I think what we're going to see more and more so is two things. One is, yeah, government regulations stepping in saying we need to protect, protect the investors. I think we'll see pressure from that end. The other thing that we'll see is, um, aside from the SEC necessarily going out and trying to shut one down or have them return the funds that they raised because they didn't do it right, um, just like any other uh, phenomenon when it first starts out, I think there are a lot of ICOs that raise a lot of money without having a real business plan in place, without really having a product in place. And, you know, they haven't succeeded or they're not going to succeed and they'll fail. I think what that's going to do is it's going to cause a lot of investors uh, to wake up to the reality of they need to be more vigilant about, you know, where they invest. Um, they're going to expect a lot more from companies that do ICOs. And I think the result of all of that is it's going to mature the industry. I think, you know, ICOs have, uh, you know, tremendous opportunities that they create, both for investors um, as well as the companies, and eventually when those tokens get used within the product, you know, for the product and ecosystem itself. However, um, I think it's very, very early stages, and the combination of those two forces, both the success of ICOs, start separating out which, you know, what are the elements that make it successful for investors to just make better informed decisions, as well as what the SEC and regulation requires. Those two coming together will actually help mature the industry a lot more. And I think that's good for everyone involved. Uh, you know, obviously we don't want all this fraud case out there. So I think it's good for everyone involved. Yeah, definitely. Well, I appreciate your outlook on, on the industry in general in the future. What's your, um, where are you in your roadmap with Shodcard right now? Um, so we've, we've been around for three years. We started the company in 2015. Um, you know, we've, we've done a lot of work on the product. We have um, filed a number of patents. We received two patents. We've got three pending and 17 provisionals that we're, we're continuing to work on. Um, the tech has come a long way. We have uh, done uh, two rounds of funding. One was our seed round. We did another VC round of funding in June of last year with a lot of focus on go-to-market. And that's what we're really focused on is uh, you know, creating more and more business traction with the product. We're doing the ICO right now. Uh, we started that a few weeks ago, and the actual ICO date is May 28th. Um, and part of what we're doing with that is taking advantage of that to create more market awareness about what we do with Showcards and really using that both uh, for the ICO fundraising that we're doing, but also being able to um, bring in more attention to the product for our customers and being able to get more clients signed up. Um, so we're going to continue on that process. And with a lot of the funds that we proceeds we get from the ICO, the real focus is going to be go to market and grabbing the products that we have and being able to increase the market penetration with those. And I think that uh, will serve the company and the purpose of our platform overall a lot more so. 
will continue to develop on, on the tech. I think technology enhancements are an ever never-ending process that we'll continue with. But that's um, a lot of what we on the roadmap ahead for us. Very good. Before I ask my last question, where can people find you or contact you online and find out more? So they can go to our website, uh, showcard.com. That's S-H-O-C-A-R-D.com. Um, and you could read about the company, our investors, our team, uh, a little bit about our clients and our solutions. Um, we have a number of videos you can look at just to learn about the product. We actually go to uh, showcard.com slash token sale. We have a page that's dedicated to the ICO, and you can learn about the ICO. But aside from the ICO, you can also learn a lot about the product. Um, again, we have more videos there that break down some of the usages of the product. We have um, white papers. I mean, we have a number of different white papers uh, that really talk about the product. We talked about the travel case, for example. We have white papers on that you could read about. Uh, and if you want to contact us, we'll be more than happy to uh, set up a meeting and uh, go over the product more and tell you guys more about it. Well, very good. And the final question here, what is the effect or the impact that you see this having on in the future for the world? I think um, a lot of things are going to And I think um, this distributed form of identity management is going to really increase your ability to have your private data with you and have control over your data, being able to lower hacking and fraud. And we constantly hear on the news, there's case after case of data breaches and cases where users were not in control of their data, where I think we're going to be able to be more so in control of that. We saw that certainly with Ecofax, where you know, 140 million user, da uh, user data in the U.S. was breached. We've had you know, breaches with you know, various banks and uh, from J.P. Morgan to Home Depot to Target to other breaches that have happened. And those basically expose our identity all over the place. Uh, I think uh, a distributed identity uh, that we've, we've created here lowers that uh, hacking significantly because you actually have to hack phones one at a time. But it also in control that you have over the data a lot more. I think we're still in the early stages of it. Even um, things like we've seen with uh, Facebook data breach uh, that was very recently on the news, even things like that can be better controlled when users are in control of their data. And permissioning happens simply because release of the data has to happen through their own devices rather than just going to a database where you can just ship a bunch of data out. And making things more explicit so users are in control of that. I think we'll see a lot more of that. And I think um, as digital our digital footprints have increased, we've kind of lost control of that. And distributed technology using the blockchain uh, is one of the ways of being able to regain that. I think we'll see a lot of change in the industry over the next five years with that. That's great to hear your thoughts. Armin, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Abraham Himi with showcard.com. Thanks everybody for listening to Future Tech Podcast. We will catch you here next time. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters 
are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s and the dot-com boom in the 1990s and the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first in their covered wagons. They find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.